The Secrets of Star Trek is brought to you by the StarQuest Production Network and is made possible by our many generous patrons. If you'd like to support the podcast, please visit sqpn.com slash give. You're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, Episode 90. Captain DeBridge. Spock here. Make it so. Surrender is not an option. Attention crew of the Enterprise, this is James Kirk. We are all explorers, driven to know what's over the horizon, what's beyond our own shores. We would have helped you get home if you had asked. That's who Starfleet is. Hi, I'm Dom Bettinelli, and you're listening to The Secrets of Star Trek, where we discuss the hidden layers and deeper meanings found in all the Star Trek TV series, movies, and more. And today we're discussing the latest episode of Star Trek Picard called The Impossible Box. And joining me today on the panel are Jimmy Aiken. Hi, Jimmy. Joel Antrudom. And Father Corey Stika. Hi, Father Corey. How's it going? Very good. Jimmy, I have to jump in here and say, uh, someone on Facebook said, um, you know you've been listening to a lot of uh, SQPN podcasts. When you hear someone named Dom, someone say hi to them and then think that's wrong. They should say howdy, Dom. (laughs) <laughs> so, i guess you and i do a lot of podcasts together so, I guess so folks if you can uh we'd appreciate it if you would go to facebook and like the secrets of star trek on facebook where we're at facebook.com slash starquest media you can also follow us on twitter where we're at sqpn and we'd love to hear from you get your comments your feedback and for you to share the show uh via social media in all those places so we'd, we'd love to see you there all right so it was a dark and stormy night, <laughs> as as this and it episode. Was. As this Thank episode you, Edward Bulwer Lytton. <laughs> exactly. Uh, so yes, as the episode begins, we are uh, in yet another flashback. This seems to be the thing for uh, for oh, yeah. Picard. I, I expected every episode, but this is only sort of a flashback. It's it's a dream uh, sequence mm-hmm. from Soji, and I have to say, young Soji looks a lot like the actress Grace Park. Who played uh, uh, in Battlestar Galactica and Hawaii yes. Five O? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh. Yes, like I, I saw her. I'm like, is that Grace Park? No, no, that's 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 just a younger a younger version of her. Apparently, um, mm, yeah. So we have this. Uh, I, I I liked how she's got the fuzzy blue Domokun doll. Yeah, because yeah. they've established that on her bed at the Romulan Borg Cube. Um, and they've never made a big deal of it, but it's like now it pays off. This is one of the things that visual storytelling needs and i've complained about on other podcasts where we're seeing all these characters that we've maybe had limited exposure to and i can't visually tell them apart but mm-hmm. put the fuzzy blue domokun doll in a kid's hands and oh this must be soji as a girl right yep exactly it very clearly establishes that uh which is really nice and uh, so she's walking down a creepy hallway and at night you know a child going to her father's office uh, we see her also, speaking of visual cues, she's wearing the necklace, the uh, paired mm-hmm. uh, circles mm-hmm. necklace. Um, her father yells her name as she comes in uh, to his, his office, and she wakes up. It was a dream, uh, and she's in bed with Narak, and they, they talk about this. And he's obviously pushing for her to to give him some info on this. Yeah, he's 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 using their, their pillow talk to interrogate her further. Yes. 
And he keeps putting her in these double bind situations. I mean, the signals this guy throws off are really confusing. Oh, because yeah. Because it's like he gives her these come close, go away signals. Yes. And, um, and you know, in reflecting on his strategy, which really comes out better in this episode, he's doing that deliberately to create cognitive tension within her to try to force stuff in her subconscious to the surface. Without activating so, her. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and so they have this uh, thing where he he says to her, you know, you're hiding something. And she says, Romulans think everyone is hiding something. And he replies, everyone is hiding something, whether they know it or not, which is very wrong yeah. to say. Um, then we have uh, on the ship, on Rios' ship, La Serena, we have Agnes, Gerardi, and Picard. And she gives him her lies about how Maddox died. When, when In fact, we know that she actually killed him. Uh, but she throws it out there that uh, that, uh, you know, the, the, the blood pressure, all this other baloney about him dying. And there's a dialogue flaw here because she says the meds were enough to keep him stable, but his heart couldn't take it. Well, then I guess the meds weren't enough to keep him stable, were they? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, and we still don't have closure on why weren't there alarms and stuff. I guess, you know, because she's a medical doctor, she was in charge. But right. We have an open question of maybe she removed the records from the system or maybe she didn't and they just are taking her word for what happened. Right. But then that's how she'll be outed later because she needs that's, to be outed. See, right. that's my thought is I think eventually it'll either be somebody who's going to do a little snooping through the ship's records or the EMH is going to say something. My thought. Or, yeah, it'll be the EMH, I think, that reveals it. Uh, so they discuss Maddox's revelation that Soji's on the cube and. Picard says he's not looking forward to going there, given his memories of being Lacutus, which uh, one of the things that has come out in some of the interviews with the creators is Patrick Stewart said up front that he would only do the show if they did, if they, if they trod new ground, if they did new things. And this idea of Picard going back to the cube, I think is part of that. Picard having mm -hmm. to deal with this giant, the Borg in the groom, you know what I mean? The, the, having yeah. to deal with his trauma uh, that which is I think is is good. I like this uh new way. In the past, he was angry, and this you know in in was was it first contact and nemesis. Now he's more afraid, more broken right. in some ways. Uh, mm -hmm. By this. also we're seeing the Borg in a new way as victims in a way we haven't before. Yes, right? yes. I mean, I mean, yeah. As as this episode goes on, you see that in Picard, kind of that awakening to what's really happening there at that cube and what the Borg really do. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. So we'll, we'll, we have, we, yeah, we, we'll get that. We have some nice dialogue in this scene, too, because Elrond is present and he's he's like, should I outbutt? <laughs> yes. And yes. then am I inbutting? Yeah. Right. <laughs> and then she says yes at one point. Um, yeah. She also, says, she she is uh, Agnes establishes something that fixes a minor thing in the canon, because when Picard was assimilated, it was portrayed as a purely macroscopic thing. There were no nanoprobes. They hadn't thought of nanoprobes yet. Mm -hmm. And then later they used nanoprobes to assimilate people. So how does that square with the way Picard got assimilated? Because you wouldn't think the Borg would have some major technological advance during the course of the series like that. And um, Agnes establishes that when they assimilated you, they, you, they injected you with nanoprobes. So that oh. was part of what was going on they just didn't talk about it okay yep right. uh she refers to the, the artifact as outcast from the collective and under romulan control so we're getting this, this really 
firmly establishing that in the dialogue. And she says, maybe they've changed, she says. But Picard replies with that old fire that we've seen, you know, whenever mm-hmm. the subjects of the board come up. No, they can't change. And of course, we'll see how he changes his mind through the course of this. Um, uh, El- and then we have that moment where Elnor notices that Agnes is haunted by something she'd like to forget. And uh, is that the murder of Maddox or something else? Maybe. I don't know. Uh, and that's the where we get the am I in budding? And she says, yes, <laughs> very, very boldly. Uh, Picard back in his uh, study, his holographic study, does a computer search on the he Googles, the artifact. And only it's like space. Google is not as good as real Google. It takes it so much time to come up with these results. Well, it's still <laughs> it's still better than TNG, where he had to use like an Android to do the search for him because the computer <laughs> on the ship wasn't good enough. So that's right. Uh, so and I like that they, they did a little bit of special effects when it shows an image of him as Locutus on screen in, on the hollow yep. screen. They move the camera angle so that it overlays his face. And then yeah. he he touches his face where the implants were to kind of are they still are they there or not you know there's that you see you see the trauma play out visually through Patrick Stewart's acting more mm-hmm. so than you than they talk about it Trek has a has a tendency a, a very bad tendency at times to talk about feelings a lot whereas you see in this you see him acted a lot more and I really like that subtlety. Uh, that they mm-hmm. have here. You see it. It's Patrick Stewart's great acting uh, coming through here. Um, they arrive at the former Romulan neutral zone. Uh, they, they talk about and uh, which, which Picard himself smashed up. <laughs> right. Yep. Uh, and uh, Agnes asks Rios why he likes, be- likes being out in space where it's cold, empty and wants to kill you. Um, she offers to listen to, uh, he offers to listen to her, to her, whatever is bothering her. And she kisses him and then offers to, 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 to be with him in a wifely way. Uh, uh, I think that the implication is pretty clear. They've been doing this already. Oh, yeah, I guess maybe. Uh, yeah. She says uh, she feels hollow, hopeless, lonely and afraid, which is, as I would say, is the worst reason to be engaging in this sort of relationship, frankly, from a Catholic yep. point, moral point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, that Well, she even says, I recognize mistakes as I'm making them. Yeah, it's so, her superpower. Know, she, knows that this <laughs> a she says, I have a superpower. I recognize mistakes as I'm making them. And that implies that not only do we have science fiction in the future, we have superheroes in the future. <laughs> right. We're, well, worst superpower ever. Exactly. <laughs> no, no, no. Actually, some of the, some of the Legion rejects on tryout day have been much worse like arm fall off boy (laughs) (laughs) Uh, plaid lad yes Uh, well we we play a game around my dinner table sometimes like worst superpower ever come up with the lamest superpowers but i I won't Mm -hmm. get into that it's a tangent uh also in this scene we notice because he's like working out or something mm -hmm. his he remember when we first met him and he had the huge piece of metal embedded in his shoulder yeah not long ago (laughs) and the doctor took it out and then he the doctor started to do a dermal regeneration on it and he waved him off and just had this big bloody wound in his shoulder well now not only is the blood not there the wound is not there so no he apparently yeah. got dermal regeneration after all, either that or they just forgot to put a wound there. Yeah, exactly. uh, I think he's he got just some being... scars and stuff like that. But yeah. yeah, nothing right where that wound was. He was being a tough li- guy in front of Picard. Yeah. <laughs> I like I like the strong moral message in this scene. Uh, you sleep around and uh, the woman you sleep with will kill you if she's that loose. Because that's clearly what they're going for here. I mean, she just she was sleeping with Maddox. She killed him. She's yep. sleeping with Rios. Now she's going to kill him. 
Yes, yes. Well, I like the fact that she they, she de- at least recognizes it's a mistake what they're doing. Uh, it, yeah, maybe not the same way we it would does it anyways. It. So yeah, uh, I I was kind of curious about the whole playing soccer thing that uh, that Rios was doing there. Is this a uh, is this a thing that Christ- uh, Cristobal uh, not Cristobal Rios um, the actor uh, maybe he's a soccer player in, in life. I just thought mm-hmm. it was funny they spent so much time on that of precious screen time. I was I was trying to figure out if it, if it was a stunt double or it was actually him. Yeah, <laughs> maybe. Anyway, we go back to the cube where Narek and Creepy Sister are discussing Soji's dreams and why why should she be programmed to dream? They they mention you know why is yeah. what what that he think he's wondering. The sister is completely uninterested in the question. Yeah, and Drusilla just comes out with it at this point and tells Derek, "You're in love with her with it, a program, a machine." Yeah. And he doesn't necessarily deny it, but he he doesn't deny it. Yeah. He does speculate that the the reason for the dream is that the cognitive dissonance of the constant evidence of her not really being human and her reality of being an android, that all of that gets processed through through dreaming. That that's what the, the dreaming reconciles the two sides of herself. And that he sees that as her vulnerability, which it eventually proves to be. By the way, in this scene, I was noticing it's so Derek and Drusilla both have these little earpieces. Yes. And I noticed in this scene, they're both wearing them in their right ear, but they haven't said anything about these earpieces. I mean, it's like, I guess they're earbuds or but are they, they only have them in one ear or are they earrings? Decorative. Oh, I Jewelry. don't know. I assume they had a function. They looked, yeah, I mean, see, they I, looked I, technological I thought they were me. more like, like comm pieces or something like that. Yeah. But they really don't say anything about them. So. Well, he's got it while wearing, well, in bed too. So that, that would that'd be a weird thing to wear to bed, although maybe well, that's a Romulan thing. Uh, But I've seen, are, I've yeah. seen piercings in that place on people oh. like in real life. So, hmm. which <laughs> again yeah. I, I don't like piercings in general i'm never good at piercing myself in general so that just gives me the creeps a little bit uh so I, any- i'm okay in the ear lobe i mean i yeah. don't have any piercings but yeah. i'm a i i it doesn't bug me to have them in the ear lobe but when you get to the tongue it bugs me yeah <laughs> uh, a big hoop would make you look like a pirate jimmy just to say that <laughs> <laughs> anyway we get the the uh the the titular impossible box in this scene although the literal version of that, the the figurative version is Soji herself, of course. And the impossible mm-hmm. box is a kind of cross between a Chinese puzzle box and a Rubik's Cube that yep. Narek is constantly fiddling with. And he says, uh, you know, she his sister says, oh, I, I would have smashed that a long time ago. And he says, yes, that's that's you. You're not very subtle. You must be patient to open it rather than than smash it. And he says Soji is the same way. And as he opens it and it's got a little bit of automation in it, a little figure emerges from it and uh and, and mm-hmm. so that's a, a bit of a foreshadowing we got here um so picard and company they discuss how they're going to approach the romulans and the artifact um he dismisses these uh subterfuge as pointless and says the only way is to be perfectly open so we so we don't have them sneaking aboard and that whole thing they, they kind of throw that mm-hmm. off to the side right away and they're going to go the hard way um, and Rafi has backslidden. Yes, she's hiding in her time. quarters, drinking and smoking snakeweed uh, from before. Um, and she's drunk at this point when she comes out to help them. That's a- But boy, does she come through. I mean, as soon as she's talking to the Starfleet officer to get a pass for Picard to get on the board cube, yep. she yep. is like on top of her game. She's yes. not that drunk or high. <laughs> yeah. Uh, 
very a manip- she's a manipulative addict <laughs> put it that yeah. way uh <laughs> well and it's I, I i'm sure we've all known people that when they need to they can turn it on yes even when they're drunk yes that's when the, they need to that's the now, most it dangerous last kind. very long yeah but- yeah but she totally manipulates and using the ask forgiveness rather than permission strategy it's like mm-hmm. oh well we're gonna be there in three hours we are what that's an act of war <laughs> right well yeah. then you better give us the past shouldn't you so yep. they they tell us the borg reclamation project is apparently independent of romulan control so the the pro there's there's the pro- the Romulan control of the cube, which is uh, yep. harvesting the technology, but the part where they're rehabilitating ex Borgs, that's independent. Hughes in charge of that? Yes. Yeah. And that's under Federation control uh, through it, a uh, through a treaty. It, no, it's it, independent. It, it's independent. It's not even Federation. Well, okay. Okay. It's it's but, yeah, multi. Mu- yeah. But yeah. Hugh is a Federation citizen, so he can leave at any time. Right. So Picard wants to get Federation credentials as an envoy, a diplomatic envoy to the project under this treaty that that they have. Um, and so that's what Rafi is doing with her Starfleet friend. She manipulates her uh, into giving them a dip- diplomatic credentials or there'll be an act of war and basically burns her friendship with her with her friend. Yep. Uh, yeah. Don't, never call me again. I say this as a friend. Um, meanwhile, and, and then we, we when we cut back to this situation, we have this awkward moment in writing where remember when Picard first beamed down to Vashti and this, we see this crowd around him and he's like Starfleet under your, it's okay. It's okay. Starfleet understands your concerns. And we didn't see any of the dialogue leading up to that. He's just gesturing. And, and we have the same thing here where we cut back to the ship and Rafi is waving her hands and going back off, back off everybody. Just give me some peace. And it's like, we didn't see anyone not giving you peace. Right. Right. Again, sort of telling us, not showing us. Um, Yeah. So meanwhile, Sojik and Nar- Soji and Eric are talking about how she's al- always falls asleep after exactly 70 seconds of every call to her mother, which we now know is an AI. And then she tests mm-hmm. it and it happens again, even though she's actively trying to keep herself awake by poking herself. She stabs herself with like a fork yeah. or something like that. <laughs> yeah. And still. And yet she still falls Letter asleep. Letter opener or something. Yep. Um, R- Rafi and Rios, uh, they have this quiet conversation in her quarters. Um, where she tells him about her son and why that's why she's all broken up. And he, he tells her no one gets all of it right, Roth. Like he's trying to reassure her. Um, it, it, yeah. A nice little friendship well, moment I, that they have there. It's, it's a good point. Yeah. One thing I wonder is, you know, they talk about how they've known each other for a long time. I wonder if they're going to show some of that. So, or if that's just going to be a throwaway line where they're, we're going to see how Chris and Rafi got to know each other initially you know was it did yeah. they serve together in starfleet was it before or after mars you know mm. i wonder if they're going to show some of this at some point and it's going to be developing towards later part of mm-hmm. the story or or if not this season maybe a future you know next season yeah uh, i mean i mean it could also just be a throwaway you know, how long have you known me? oh we've known each other for a long time right. okay fine they're they're old buds yeah done i was interested by an insult that rafi gets in on picard while she's talking to her friend in starfleet she says like oh you know that guy picard every part of that guy that isn't ego is rampaging in (laughs) yep and i'm like really i that's not how i view picard so in freud's system of carving up the human psyche you have the id the ego and the superego and the superego is like the morality rule dictating part of you the id is your uh, base you know 
animal, whatever, emotional, motivational desires. And then the ego is the practical part of you that tries to harmonize um, the rules that you that you impose on yourself with the desires that Mm -hmm. your nature imposes on you. And if anybody had a massive superego being Mr. Particular Morality Rule Follower, I would have thought it was Ben Picard. Yeah. yeah. So he's like, he's not Mr. No Super Ego. Right, yeah. right. Well, I love I love the line about, about how he's so Starfleet, you probably still have him on your recruitment posters. posters. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So uh, they get to the cube, and Picard is told he has to beam in alone. He, he's, not, he's not happy about it. He's not happy about going there by himself and being in the cube. This is the... By the way, the first time that Picard will be on a Borg cube since second, the Best of Both Worlds Part Two, since leaving as mm-hmm. Locutus. So that's this is a momentous moment for him. Is was was he on the uh, Borg cube in, uh, first, in contact? first contact? Nope. The, he he met the he saw the Queen when they were in the Enterprise's engineering. Oh, okay, right, okay, right. yeah. So this is this is his first return, uh, and so. Uh, but he his desire and to Catherine, help Soji. Catherine Janeway was back and forth on board cubes oh, all the time. They had set up a oh, guest she, room she for had her. Frequent flyer miles on board <laughs> cubes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, she had a guest room in the off the queen cell. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so his <laughs> his desire to help Soji overcomes his his fear of being back on the Borg again. Uh, then so before that he beams over. We have Soji awakes from her involuntary slumber. And goes looking for in her quarters for this old lunchbox, which ha- with, has all her memories in it, her pictures. It's a, a Adventures of Flutter lunchbox. Did you notice that? Oh, <laughs> I, 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 I thought about freeze framing it to see and I didn't. Oh, man, <laughs> Flutter was awful. So Flutter is <laughs> it comes from it's interesting. So Flutter was from Star Trek Voyager. Neelix has brought this to the Federation and to presumably uh, a generation of young children throughout the Federation got to have this old, uh, um, uh, what's Neelix's race? Uh, the, the uh, um, whatever Neelix's Porcup- planet is. people. Yes, the Pokemon. Yeah. Uh, to get out to enjoy the adventures of Flutter that he brought back with him from the Delta Quadrant. Uh, so anyway, she goes through all her old photos and uses, a kind of ingenious, she uses a, a scanner that of all of her old stuff and everything is no older than 37 months. Yeah, she's carbon dating everything. Yes, and she is, and so she realizes her entire life basically is no older than three years in a month. Uh, Which is what Agnes Girardi told us a few episodes ago that Dodge's identity was apparently manufactured just over three years ago. Right. Yep. So that's pretty consistent Uh, there. Picard beams over, and there's no one there to greet him in the in the cube. Uh, He starts having very powerful flashbacks, like physical flashbacks, um, Mm -hmm. and. Apparently, the Borg subscribe to the same philosophy of architecture as the uh, Star Imperial, uh, the Empire in Star Wars. There are no railings anywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> and exactly. so let's stumble over this, <laughs> lo- this very narrow bridge over a huge chasm. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, uh, but he's saved from falling by some former Borg who's him. But he's having these um, hallucinations where at first he thinks that they're Borg drones, and he's get off of me. And and it turns out they're tr- the, the Hughes shows up and says they're trying to help you. Trying to save you from falling. Picard and Hugh have a warm reunion. Uh, Hugh, Which was good to see. I was, you know, yeah. the way this series was going, I was so afraid it was going to be yet another an, an, you know, animosity right. between the two of them. And but no, well, it was, it, Hugh was truly overjoyed to see him. And remember, like, when Hugh and Picard met, 
he, Picard hated Hugh. He despised him, mm-hmm. wouldn't even see him, and was going to use him as a living virus to kill all Borg, including Hugh. And yep. and then they had that moment where they connected, and he used him as more of a, a moral virus, shall we say, to spread morality and individuality through the cubes. And uh, Yeah, that was a mistake. <laughs> <laughs> well, it got us to where we are here with this uh, artifact, I suppose. Uh, Hugh helps Picard process that the cube is now the artifact, that the drones are ex-Borg, that they're victims, that they're liberating from their enslavement, um, and that he's no longer Locutus. Although at one point, one of the extras, who's a, a you know an XB, uh, sees Picard walk as, away. And as calls they're, him, as they're charging through the hallways in yeah. an emergency situation, one of the ex-Borg just goes, Locutus? <laughs> yeah. Like, I went to school with that guy. Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's kind of funny. Well, we were on the same cube. <laughs> yeah, we were in the same uh, junction and subsection. Um, also, yeah. despite the enormous danger that Soji is in, that uh, that uh, Picard and Hugh realize, yes. Uh, instead of going immediately to deal with Soji, they give him a tour. Hugh, Hugh <laughs> takes him on a tour first and shows them all the great skin regeneration work we're doing with the uh, yeah. with the ex Borgs. Right, uh, but Hugh does tell Picard uh, that he does know something's wrong with Soji, especially given Narek's uh, interest in her. Um, so he, he's not been completely oblivious to, to what's going on. Uh, Picard says, uh, he does say to him after the tour, after all these years, you're showing what the Borg are underneath. They're victims, not monsters. And I, I really like that line because this is something we need to hear more often in our world that, you know, even evil people in our own time are not monsters. They're human beings. They're, they may, if they're, even if they're not victims, they're still children of God. They're still you know, people who we need to see as made in the image and likeness of God, even as sometimes we have to use, you know, force and other means to stop yeah. them from from the evil that they're doing. But I don't like when we call, you know, oh, that guy's that guy's not human. He's a monster. Mm, right. I don't like that. And well, I like that they do this. It's hyperbole, but. Yeah, I, I know. But on, on a on a on a. I mean, on a smaller level, the, the idea of you disagreeing with me. So you're literally Hitler. Right. Right. You know, that kind of thing. I think hyperbole used often enough can have an effect where where some where sometimes it has a dehumanizing effect. Yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So uh, I did like this moment and that line there to to you know they to humanize the Borg, because I, I know I've always thought as they're destroying these cubes as you know, as a viewer, as a, as a fan thinking of I always thought about like all these poor people who are involuntarily assimilated, dying here like they're not bad people they're they're they were victims of the borg too um and it's so i like well, that that humanization here and my long- buddy died on that death star <laughs> yeah <laughs> yes. um the, that is a fan fiction fan film of star wars where they have follow a uh, a stormtrooper left alone on endor after the death star is destroyed and at one point he does say he says that line. He looks up at the sky at the debris in the air and says, I had friends on that Death Star, which I thought was a great addition. To that <laughs> uh, I have a T-shirt with that. Uh, yes, That's me too. Awesome. <laughs> uh, but, you know, it, it, so much so long that the, the history of the Borg in in Star Trek has been basically once they're assimilated, they are no longer human or whatever race. They're, mm-hmm. They are basically meat tools. Right. For they're, the collective, they're zombies. They're essentially yeah. what, you know, how we look at zombies. They're not 
the people they were. They are just animated flesh. Um, and we, and that's sort of how they've always approached them. But this well, shows them as human. They do, I mean, they do have intellects that have been reprogrammed. So you sever them from the collective. Right. And, and Seven of Nine was like totally into Borg ideology once she was first mm-hmm. severed. Yes. And it took a long time for her to come around. And even Hugh is like, oh, hey, Jordy, we're going to assimilate you. Um, and, and it took a while for Hugh to come around, even though he was much less aggressive than Seven because he's not Jerry right. Ryan. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, it, we even had that Voyager uh, episode where the 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 Borg who awakened in the inside the collective in, was it uh, Unimatrix or whatever they called it. I forget the name. Yeah, of it. Unimatrix Zero One. Yeah, yeah. They yep. they had this. The, the they we saw Borg who were, in, you know, were still people. Uh, mm-hmm. Anyway, uh, Hugh says at this point, you know, we're still the most hated people in the galaxy, just as helpless and enslaved as before. Only now our queen is a Romulan, which is an interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. You know, they're free, but mm-hmm. not um, because they are the property of the Romulans. Hugh is asking Picard to advocate for the Borg to be freed from this. Uh, meanwhile, Rafi and Rios discuss why the Tal Shara have kept Soji alive instead of killing her like they did Dodge, because uh, they must know she's there. She's in the middle of them. Um, mm-hmm. And Narak takes Soji off for a... Uh, a Romulan meditation ritual that is normally taboo for non-Romulans, but he tells her uh, he he gets her to go and convinces her by doing this more this manipulation where he tells her his true name that's only reserved for the the one you love. You know, so he tells her maybe. Yeah, <laughs> I, I I like this aspect of this because earlier on, you know, she's when they're having pillow talk, she's like you haven't even told me your job, what your job is. And it's like, guy, you should have made up a job description for her. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then she notes that, uh, that Romulans have a name for outsiders, a name for their family, and then their true name that they give only to the one they give their heart to. And he gets up and leaves and she says, Narek, and he turns around and playfully, but creepily says, that's not my name. Right. And, <laughs> and what I, what, and I'm thinking I would, if I, I would not date a woman who behaves like that. <laughs> um, just, just, just double bind stuff. I'm not into it all. Right. Um, but, uh, but I like the multiple names thing because you know who else had that? As we've talked about on Mysterious World, Dom, the Egyptians. Yep. Because you had a name that you, you, everybody else would call you. And then you had your true name, which your mom knew. And the reason they kept the other names, the names for outsiders, uh, the reason they used those and kept their true name secret was because you could magically manipulate a person if you knew their true name. Right. And so it was right. like a blind to protect you from magical manipulation, except it wouldn't work with Isis, the goddess of magic, because one of her titles was she who knows everyone's name. She knows all and the yeah, she knows all the names. And so Isis could get at you no matter what. But presumably Romulans have, not for magical reasons, but they have multiple names for similar reasons um, to, you know, shield them in some way from well, in certain sec- relational well, contexts. They, you know, they, they've established that Romulans are secrecy is number one for Romulans. So, yeah, it's a matter of secrecy of who they really are. Yeah, it's got to be a, so, a deep cultural religious context in it, too, somewhere, too. You know, there's there's probably something that's at the root of that. Yeah. But then once they get into the meditation chamber and he's going to do this, you know, walk along this labyrinth path and I'll narrate you through this thing. As he's about to start, he says, my name is Hayan. Right. 
which apparently in Romulan means total liar. <laughs> right. <laughs> <laughs> well, because he presumably he says it there because no one can hear them inside the chamber, but right. he knows his sister is watching on the on the, the right. monitors. So it's probably not even really his. I was going to say, we, we don't even know if it is even like one of his family names, much less right. his real name. Exactly. So he begins to lead her through the meditation, which apparently involves some sort of labyrinth thing. Stay away from labyrinths, folks. Uh, <laughs> and so she finally remembers her dream. She remembers her father in her dream was working on a doll version of her, like a sort of Pinocchio wooden Soji. Uh, and then she sees, she looks up through a skylight and sees some location detail of like a, a planet with two lots of electrical storms and two moons. Yeah. Two red moons and constant electrical storms. Uh, or at least while she was which dreaming. Is what, which, which is what Derek um, uh, gets out of her. He's, yes. he's like walking her through this. He gets her to finally see herself as the doll. And he immediately says, look up at the skylight. What do you see? And and we haven't even established there is a skylight. Right. But he's pulling this out of, I mean, her subconscious would still know what the sky looks like. So even if there literally wasn't a skylight in her dad's lab, she could look up mentally and see what was in the sky. Right, right. So that's not a plot hole. It's him manipulating her 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 dream. Um, and then now that he has what he wants from her, he says goodbye and leaves the box, the impossible box, which is, this time contains a poison to kill her or an ass well, or something. Well, it's a radiation, they said. So, yeah. so it, we have more, even though, he, even though he's now got what he wants, because Sis now has the data to find the world where she came from. Yep. Um, maybe. Who knows? There could be dozens of electrically active <laughs> atmospheric worlds with two red moons. Right. Um, but, uh, but Soji is all broken up about her dream, and she's like, why was he working on me? And to reassure her... Derek kisses her and then says, because you're not real. You never yeah. were. And so you mm -hmm. have more of this creepy double bind from Derek where he's kissing her to reassure her. And then he's telling her she's not real and never was. <laughs> and then he walks out, leaving the impossible box. And as it opens up this time, instead of having a little prize inside it, this red mist stuff comes out. And in the reverse angle shot, we see Derek is ready to cry. Right. I mean, he really has fallen in love with her and he's he's ready to cry. But mm -hmm. uh, Soji, when the when the red stuff touches her, she's it hurts her, apparently. And she goes to banging on the door of the meditation station and which they've retrofitted into this board cube, apparently, because yeah. this mm -hmm. is a popular meditation thing. Yep. And uh, the guard who's there is like starting to open the door to let her out. And Derek says, no, the radiation so apparently the red stuff is radiation, but that shouldn't yep. be because red visible light radiation is low frequency unless it's infrared <laughs> and this is super hot. Yeah. You, you shouldn't have a visible manifestation of deadly radiation that looks red. It should either be totally invisible because it's too high in frequency for us to it, see. It's Star Trek radiation. Or it should have some spillover <laughs> at the blue part of the spectrum. It's Star Trek radiation. That's you know, All Star Trek yeah. radiation is visible. You well, get don't, don't, you know that, don't you know that these androids are like a remote, you know, they've got a remote control you know and that's actually infrared no he said yeah. to him in a scottish no. accent don't open the door you'll flood the compartment yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so uh, so she activates though and starts punching her way through the floor uh in to get to the next level down uh that's how i usually travel between yeah. levels in video games is punch my way through the floor so she punches through the oh. floor 
<laughs> and, and suddenly her signal is now back online because apparently the meditation was, stations are shielded. shielded. So yes. Picard and Hugh could not find her. They went to her quarters. They found all the wrecked stuff yes. from her freak out about everything is 37 months old. And Picard thought, oh, I think she's close to figuring out who she is um, because of a messy room. Yeah. And, well, the torn picture, torn picture of her and her sister that she'd torn in half. Yeah. But um, they couldn't find her. She wasn't on the on the grid. And so now that she's punched her way out of the meditation station, um, she is on the grid and they can go find her. Right. And so to, with Hugh's help, they they escape. Uh, they go to the queen cell. So every cube apparently has a queen cell when the queen is there, just like in England. The queen has a has a, a, yep. a, a room in every castle. I don't know if you knew that, mm-hmm. but. I'm, I'm making that I, up. I just make it up. Sorry. I think she probably has more than one. But. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Um, anyway, it has a uh, a Sakarian spatial transporter. The Sakarians. Did you catch that reference? Yeah. Yep. All the way back to Voyager season one, episode nine. They have a trajector which yes. uh, the Voyager was not able to use to get forty thousand light years closer to home. Right. But Soji out of nowhere knows that this thing has a range of 40,000 light years. So there's some bed, embedded knowledge there. Maybe she yep. was briefed on what, subconsciously briefed on what she would find in the Borg cube. Right. She has a lot of knowledge about Romulans and the cube that that, that even surprises her. Um, this the, And some Sakarians got assimilated, and that's how the Borg have this technology post-Locutus's time. Uh, yeah, Bo- and actually, maybe all Sakarians, because if my memory yeah. serves, they were a small race that was, I don't know. Well, if they had this trajector, they should be spread all over the place. But yeah, so you're probably just some of them. OK, um, although in that episode, remember, the, the trajector could only be used uh, in proximity to their planet. So the Borg must have overcome that. Right. There's there's power issues and issues of how the protons and antiprotons and whatever else. Yeah, the quartz layer of the planet's crust, blah, blah, blah. But there was, anyway, we've waved at at that. So meanwhile, uh, Picard sets a rendezvous with Rios. It says, meet us at Nepenthe. Which is the yeah. title of next week's episode. Nice, nice. Uh, I mean, that there's so Nepenthe is a word for forgetfulness or oblivion. Mm-hmm. Um, and you may be familiar with it from Edgar Allan Poe's poem, The Raven. Oh, I, re- I remember it from the uh, the Star Trek episode, uh, the Star Trek movie where Kirk and Spock were condemned. Oh, no, Kirk and McCoy were condemned to the Klingon prison at Rorapenthe. Ro- Rura Pente. Was that but, Star Trek yeah, so The Pente sounded familiar. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but the, the so ne is not, yeah. and yeah. Pente is related to pensiveness, thoughtfulness. Yes. Mm-hmm. So it's oblivion, not thoughtfulness. So originally- And, and, yeah. and so apparently Riker and Troy got lost and right. went yeah. to oblivion. Yes, that's what we're going to find <laughs> out. Uh, that's, that's where he's heading. So- uh, Earlier, before Picard beamed over to the cube, he had this. Elnor said, "I'm, I'm your guardian. I'm coming with you. You can't go alone." And Picard says, "No, you have to stay here. You have to stay, sit, stay." And uh, <laughs> Elnor eventually does. Except um, Rios and Rafi and Agnes are like, "Oh, you know, he, we have to go to this place. You know, that's days and weeks away by by uh, warp drive, and somehow Picard is going to get there ahead of us." Um, Where's Elnor? <laughs> and Elnor's missing. Shows up on the cube, killing some Romulans to to cover to cover the uh, uh, Hugh and Picard and, and Soji. And he's without gonna... warning the first batch. I mean, he doesn't give them. Please choose to live. <laughs> yes, yeah. yes. He just uh, does it. And he's going to stay behind to cover their escape. Well, I, I don't understand. 
I mean, I ca- they kind of explain it a little bit that it's going to take time for Hugh to shut down the queen cell and hide the evidence of, uh, and of hide the, the cell and hide the cell. Yeah. Um, and that means Elnor has to uh, hold off any pursuing guards. But, uh, yeah. I, I yeah. Mean, <laughs> reasons. Um, please, and then as we, the, the last thing is he says, yeah, we hear him say to the off screen guards, please, my friends, choose to live. So, yeah. Uh, and yep. that's where we, uh, we end things. I, I like in the dialogue leading up to that, uh, when Picard is about to go through to Nepenthe, he's, he's, saying to Elnor, come with me. And Elnor is like, no, I, I, well, first thing he says is I told you to stay on the ship. Yes. I didn't listen, which is absolute <laughs> candor there. That's absolute candor. Um, and then, uh, okay. So come with us. Well, no, I bound my sword to your cause. Well, then I release you. I refuse to be released. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's very, very, uh, knowing habit of not obeying orders. Um, and then we have this reconciliation where I'm sorry, you know, I, uh, that I ever left you behind before. And, you know, he, he, he appreciates that. Um, won't do it again. Won't do it again. Yep. Uh, and then we get, you know, coming up next week, we're going to, we, 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 like, as you said, we're going to, uh, for some reason now Picard is running to Riker and Troy. For some reason, that's where yep. his next, his next uh, destination is. So we'll see what that's about. So I thought it might be good to predict, because we've got, this was the sixth episode, so we got four episodes left mm-hmm. this season. And obviously we're going to have probably a two-part Super finale. climactic finale. Yep. And um, I mean, that's what standard story structure would suggest. But we have these unanswered plot threads, most of which are likely to get paid off this season. And I thought it would be a good moment to just reflect on what is likely to happen in the next four episodes. And so I thought about that and I came up with the following list. Number one, I think we're likely to get Rios's story. What happened Mm -hmm. with him on the ship that alienated him from Starfleet? Yep. Also, I think we're going to, we're likely to find out that the Romulan supernova was artificial. That's right. not actually established in the J.J. Abrams movie. It is in some spinoff media, including the prequel novel for this. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and it yep. makes sense because there's no way if the Romulans had known if the Romulan star was naturally that close to going supernova, they would have known about it for centuries. They would have as yeah. soon as they developed spaceflight moved off Romulus. Yes. Yeah. Um, so uh, we also need to have Agnes outed as the traitorous she is. Mm-hmm. Uh, we need to have exposure of what the Conclave of Eight is, including the Borg-Synth connection. Uh, Derek needs to betray Drusilla. Um, we may need to have, or and this they may not pay this one off this season, but the whole point of the neuron, neuronic cloning stuff is you could reconstruct not just a positronic matrix, but data's memories Yes, right. from a single neuron. So that's clearly heading for data is going to get re-embodied at some point, um, either this season or next. Commodore O needs to get exposed. Um, I don't know that seven. that's going to happen this season. But go ahead. Well, yeah. I, I, these are things that need to happen. I think many of them are likely to happen this season. Yep. Also, um, Rafi uh, needs to get clean again. I That may not happen this season. Yep. But Seven also needs to come back. And word mm-hmm. is she's coming back this season. A couple other things. Um, the, uh, we need to find out what's going on with the rogue sense. What made them go mm-hmm. rogue. Um, yep. and, and of course, uh, you know, as, as you say. the conclave of eight. Oh, yep. okay, okay, yeah, and uh, yeah, we have to get back to what what 
what the Romulan, like you say, the Romulan secret is. Those are the two big mm-hmm. ones for me that I feel like they have to do this season. The, the, well, what's the Jadvash thing against the, what's their secret? That's, I feel like right. that needs to be answered. What do you and think? how the is only, Soji the destroyer? Yeah. Yeah. The only thing I, I kind of catch on is they, they've made it clear that Picard is written to be a three season series. Mm-hmm. Right. And how connected are the three seasons going to be? Because I can see them developing Soji up to the point where I, I kind of disagree with the idea of data becoming reincarnated, if you will. Mm-hmm. Instead, that Soji recognizes that she has all data's memories. Yeah. And that she is kind of like the new data. Mm. Especially you know, given Brent Spiner, there won't be. We, yeah. we won't see. Yeah, we won't see. Brent Spiner has made it clear he doesn't want. He doesn't want Data, data to, to, com- to be alive again. Mm. You know, and so, and I, I, I think that would be kind of a cheap way out. But I, I think what's going to happen is we're going to see Soji and possibly other of her sisters and brothers, right, who recognize that they have Data's memories and capabilities, and they're going to try to rehabilitate the image of synths. In Federation Correct. society. Yeah. And I'm, I'm wondering if like next season possibly is where they're going to cover more of what happened at the Mars attacks. How did that happen? Who caused it? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they're not really going to, you know, it just, there's a part of me that wonders if they're not even really going to cover that this season, they're going to focus more on this chase for, we need to find the nest of androids and, I, you know, and, and, and maybe the, the Jadvash yeah. connection of why are they so, Opposed to synthetic life forms. And then the synthetic life form, who controlled the synthetic life forms in the first place. Although, yeah, because yeah. Rafi thinks it was a combination of Federation and Romulan pe- right. uh, group. And so it's, it's possible it, yeah. Commodore O might not even be outed during this season at all. That's true. You know, I mean, there's because it, it's it. the question is going to be how connected are these seasons going to be? Yeah, how long right. of a story are they planning to tell here? Are these right. going to be self-contained seasons, which means they've got four episodes to wrap up all these storylines? Or is this intentionally going to be, no, we've got this one storyline we're going to cover with the with the the, the androids, the Soong-type androids with Soji. Next season, we go on to the... And will Wesley Crusher be I, I, I back? Think, <laughs> I, th- I think they're not going to wrap up everything, but they need to wrap up some of these things, and I think they'll wrap up many of these things in the yeah. next four yeah. episodes. Well, yeah. I, I, there's going to be a lot that's going to be wrapped up, but I, I think there's going to be a lot of questions to carrying over to the next season. That's the thing. Is I'm curious who's going to go. Uh, I'm going to guess Agnes does not rehabilitate. I think she gets exposed, but I think she's done after this season. Um, mm. That's my prediction. And um, uh, Derek is probably done. Uh, he has to, from a dramatic standpoint, he has to pay the price for his betrayal, right. uh, despite his feelings. So he's going to pay whatever price there is, and he's uh, he's done. Uh, Even to the dies point of taking out his sister, or right, something like right, that. right. Um, but uh, the, other than that, I'm not sure. I, Elnor isn't done. El, Elnor's going to come back. Um, and, Rafi and Rios are, will also be back. Yeah. Yep. And and I think Soji becomes part of the team. I think that's going to mm-hmm. be uh, part of the... Because because the what they need to do is, is give us a reason why Picard and Rafi and Rios and Soji keep dro- flying off together when Picard is you know old man who's supposed to be at his vineyard. So they can't right. just wrap everything up and decide to go on a new adventure together. There has to be something that continues to drive them through the next two seasons. So I, I think that's a good point. All right. 
Uh, we should probably uh, wrap things up here. Uh, I'm looking uh, forward to the next. Things, just a couple yeah. of things. From oh, this, yeah, sure. Uh, episode I just want to mention real quick. I got a kick out of the fact that Rafi had just generic brand whiskey. She had a bottle <laughs> that just said whiskey. Um, I liked how they, they're, they, they're using this, this series to kind of explore more of Romulan culture. Yeah. You know, we're learning more about the Romulans because we Can really we ever don't have. in yeah. TNG for sure. Yeah. And I, just one thing I got a kick out of. There was kind of background noise. I think I think it was Soji was going into her her quarters to scan all her items, and you can hear the background how there are certain sectors closed due to chronometric activity. Yeah, uh, chronometric that. activity is measuring time. Yeah. It's a study of clocks, basically. Yeah, yes, we're, we're we've got clocks running in this sector. Don't go in there. Shut it down. <laughs> Chroniton activity. Maybe should, they should have said that's funny. All right. Uh, okay. So that I think that'll wrap things up for us here. Uh, we'll, we'll take a moment to first thank our patrons and make it possible for us to create the secrets of Star Trek, including uh, this week, Father Chris, Father Carl, Vera J, Diane S, and Martin G. Their generous donations at sqpn.com slash give make it possible for us to continue the secrets of Star Trek and all the shows at StarQuest. And you can join them by visiting sqpn.com slash give. So that's it from us. Uh, what do you think of the Impossible Box? We'd love to hear what you thought and what your theories are for the uh, rest of the season. You can let us know by commenting on the show at sqpn.com slash trek or our Facebook page at facebook.com slash starquestmedia or you can send an email to trek at sqpn.com. And of course, like we said, we'll be back next time when we'll be discussing the next episode, Nepenthe. Until then, Father Cory Stika, thank you for joining me and sharing the secrets of Star Trek. Thank you, Dom. Jimmy Aiken, thank you as well. Now I'm going to be thinking about that line from Star Trek VI. We'll clean their chronometers. Joe <laughs> on true, Dom. <laughs> and once again, I'm Dom Bettinelli. Thank you for listening to the secrets of Star Trek on StarQuest. And remember, the Romulans are in a 250-year bad mood. <laughs>